second of the four pillars that we're going to go through. Um, as you guys hear us say week in and week out, we are committed to loving God, growing together, reaching others, and serving. So these are the four core pillars that we stand by at Faith Doma Fellowship. And we're preaching through all four of them. Each individual point has four, sermon ser uh, four sermons that are attached to them. So we are actually on the third of point two. And we will finish up point two next week. So today's message is entitled Gospel-Centered Community. And basically, you're going to hear a lot about gospel-centered community. So what is gospel-centered community? <clears throat> Actually, I have a little note here I want to read in regards to what gospel-centered community is. Gospel-centered community is a community of believers who foster biblical teaching, prayer, worship, equality, generosity, shared experience, and mission. I'll read it again. A gospel-centered community is a community of believers who foster biblical teaching, prayer, worship, equality, generosity, shared experience, and mission. So whenever you're in a gospel-centered community, the community is a fellowship with people that are like-minded and in agreement. When you talk about being gospel-centered, it's you believing what the gospel communicates. The gospel is the bad news and the good news. We talk about this often. So it's believing the truth about yourself as a human being and believing the truth about Jesus as the Savior of human beings. Amen? Amen. So when you're in a gospel-centered community, you know, Bishop said it last week, being the chief of all sinners is the mindset that is healthy for you to have. It's what Paul had, the chief of all sinners. So now you're not holding anybody up to any standards that you wouldn't hold yourself to. You're not quick to condemn or judge. You're quick to repent and confess. What is it that you need to repent of? What is it that you could change? What is it that you have done to cause the situation to be the way it is instead of saying, well, they, well, them, if they would not have, they should not have. So it's not quick to be about what someone else has done. You recognize that you're on a level playing field. As much as I need Jesus is as much as you need Jesus. Amen? Amen. So thus far, we established a foundation for a community within the body of Christ. Uh, first being our Trinitarian God. He exists in a community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are creating the image and likeness of God, so we also strive for community. We are tripartite beings, so to speak, which means we have a soul, a spirit, and flesh. But we love fellowship. This is why people are seeking it everywhere. They start all the different social media things. We got a Facebook page, we got Twitter, we got Instagram. Uh, you know, you want you want to mingle with people, you want to spend holidays together. Most people enjoy community. Most people strive for fellowship. They long for it because we are creatures that are creating the image and likeness of a God that exists in community. Like I said, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the clearest, this is taught all through Scripture, but the clearest place that we see the Trinity in Scripture is at the baptism of Jesus Christ. Whenever we see the Father saying, this is my Son who I am well pleased, and the dove that ascends is the Holy Spirit, and Jesus the one being baptized, we see the Trinity together as three distinct persons, one triune God, and that's who we worship. Also, our Savior who purchased a people... For himself. That's why we are a blood-bought family. See, Jesus paid a heavy price for us to belong to him, for us to be called out of darkness and be in fellowship with God. This is why we have a foundation of community. For the next two weeks, we will deal with the practical side of what gospel-centered community looks like and what Connect Life is all about. So next week, we're going to be talking a lot about Connect Life. This week, we're going to talk a lot about Connect. I mean, we're going to talk a lot about gospel-centered community. Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 deals with the doctrines of grace. 
This is our calling. We've been called out of darkness by grace into adoption as children that belong to God. We have an inheritance. God's eternal plan was accomplished for us on the cross. So in chapter 1, we see spiritual blessings. We see Paul praying thanksgiving. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, we see salvation by grace. Hopelessness and helplessness without Christ. That's important. Hopelessness and helplessness without Christ. You cannot save yourself. You cannot redeem yourself. You cannot make things right between you and God all by yourself. You're hopeless and helpless without Christ. Amen? We need Christ. The world needs Christ. When you want to give counsel to somebody, think of Christ first. All right? Don't think of Dr. Oz or Oprah or anybody else. They may have some good insight, but think of Christ. Because otherwise you're putting a band-aid on a bigger issue. All right? If an artery is bleeding, don't go to try to fix the hangnail. You need to fix the artery that's getting ready to kill that individual. All right? So the important thing for us to memorize is that Jesus is the answer, and we are hopeless and helpless without Christ. But we do have hope in Christ. Amen? Amen. And that's what we rejoice in. It's kind of like when we go through communion. We talk about sin, Savior, and eternal salvation. Don't just get caught up in the sin portion, because that's why Jesus died. He paid the debt. Amen? Amen. So also in Ephesians chapter 2, the unity and peace of Christ. Unity of Christ's people. Peace with God, implications of Christ's peace. So what does it imply that we have the peace of Christ? What does it imply? And this is what we're going to get into with community. And then in chapter 3, we see the revelation of the gospel mystery, Paul's apostolic ministry, the mystery of wisdom, and then Paul's prayer for strength and insight. The big idea that you guys need to get today is this. The gospel cannot be truly believed if it does not affect our behavior. The gospel cannot be truly believed if it does not affect our behavior. Can we get that up here, Isaac? That's the big idea. The gospel cannot be truly believed if it does not affect our behavior. Think about that for a second. Many people profess to be saved. Ricky, I tell you, I mean, he's out sharing the gospel all the time. I really encourage you guys to join him. I really encourage you to do that. Everybody says they're saved now. You may hear it in your workplace. You may hear it in your family. They believe in Jesus. They said that prayer once when they were nine. They did that a long time ago. That's not what the gospel's about. But if you truly believe in Christ, is it changing your behavior? Does it affect every aspect of who you are? Does it cause you to love more? Does it cause you to forgive more? Does it cause you to be less judgmental, overly critical? Is it really changing who you are? Do people see the change? It's easy for you to confess that you're changed. But the people see that you changed. Here's the key. Do your loved ones, the people who are closest to you, see the change? Because you can fool people all day. You can fool all of us in here. But whenever I go into your home and I walk with you and I see how you treat your spouse, I see how you treat your children, the people who are closest to you, do they see the change? If not, then you should, you should question yourself. At the very least, check yourself. And repent if necessary. We all need to repent. But if you believe the gospel, it should affect your behavior. Point number one. Gospel-centered community is a product of our redemption and a process in our sanctification. Going back to the text, Ephesians 4, verses 1 and part of verse 2. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. This is Paul talking, the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Ephesus. He's saying him as a prisoner for the Lord. I believe that he was in prison whenever he wrote this letter to them. He urged them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling 
to which they had been called. See, in, our, in, in Ephesians series, we learned that we are called to walk worthy in a calling of, to salvation. And, and walk uh, is to walk about. Bishop broke it down here a little bit for me here. It's to order one's behavior. It's the Greek word peripateo. That's pretty good, right? Peripateo. Help me out with that. All right, so to order one's behavior. And then worthy is axios, which is having a weight of another thing. So the calling, we've been called and reconciled to bear one another's burdens. And we'll see it further on in the text. We've been called to, to walk in community, to walk together. When you hurt, I hurt. When you struggle, I struggle. When you're in pain, I'm in pain. And it goes both ways. When you rejoice, I get to rejoice. When you're satisfied, I'm satisfied. That's what love is about. So whenever we're called to walk worthy, we're ordering our behavior to really love well, to really reflect that we believe this gospel, to really reflect that we've been changed and marked by the grace of God. Ultimately, gospel-centered community is only possible because of our redemption and plausible in our commitment to sanctification. So because we've been redeemed, it produces a people who walk in gospel-centered community. It produces a people who want to fellowship, a people who want to know more about you, more about your hurts, more about your pains, more about your struggles, more about your strengths, more about your place of employment, more about your family, your extended family. We want to know more about one another. At least we should. We should care for one another, love one another, be marked by grace, let people see what a gospel-centered community looks like, what a people who are changed by the gospel resembles. So that because we've been redeemed and called out of darkness, this is the fellowship that we get to enjoy. This is the unity that we get to participate in. But not only that, it's also a commitment to sanctification because God knows that as I begin to love you and I diligently pursue loving you, you are going to help me be sanctified as much as I'm going to help you be sanctified. Because you're going to get on my nerves and I'm going to get on your nerves. I'm going to rub you the wrong way. You're going to rub me the wrong way. That's when you really know somebody. Because if you just got your church clothes on and you're just playing church and you come and you, hey, everything's great. Everything's great. Everything's great. Man, everything's always great with that guy. Everything's always great. Because you're not being real with people. You're not telling them about your ugly. Bishop talked about it last week whenever he gave the oatmeal story of Josiah. You guys remember that? When Josiah holds the oatmeal in his cheek and then he just decided to let it go everywhere and Bishop was like, just wanted to lay hands on that boy. So, you know, we, we, we get to see this whenever we're in community with one another. We get to see how everybody has flaws. Everybody has struggles. See, whenever you're isolated and you're just kind of going through your own mess all by yourself, you really, you really think it's just you. If you're not in community and you start to condemn yourself, you start to think, what's wrong with me? I've, I've talked to many people in here, and one of my key points of counsel is, we're all the same. I told one brother, I said, look at the church. Look at the people in here. I said, you don't know it, but every single one of them are hurting in some way, shape, or form. Every single one of them need a hug. Every single one of them need a word of encouragement. Every single one of them need your prayers. Every single one of them need Jesus. And it's true. Don't go through stuff by yourself. You've been called out of darkness and redeemed from destruction to walk in unity and to be in a gospel-centered community. Sometimes it's hard to take that first step. You don't want to reach out to somebody. But that's just sin, I'm telling you. Isolation is not of God. Repent of that. You say, man, I got to repent because I want to be by myself? Maybe. Maybe you do. 
Maybe you need to repent because you want to be by yourself. Because God called you into fellowship with his church. And you can't be the church all by yourself. We need each other, church. So the Apostle Paul shows us the character traits that must be displayed if we plan to live in community. It's humility, gentleness, and long-suffering. As we'll continue to read in verse 2. With all humility and gentleness and patience. So humility, lowliness. Humility doesn't mean you got to look at yourself like you're just the scum of the earth and you just need to pretend that you're low and, and see no value in yourself. That's not humility. Oftentimes, that's false humility. That doesn't benefit anybody. But what humility is, is humility means to see yourself as God sees you with infinite inherent value, but with no more value than anyone else. It's to walk in lowliness. You're not better than nobody else. I don't care if you got a PhD, doctor's degree, it doesn't matter. You're not better than nobody else. I don't care if you've been saved 30 years. You're not better than nobody else. The thief on the cross made it to heaven just like the person who was born into the family of religious folks. You see? Humility is important if we're going to walk in community, in a gospel-centered community. The next one is gentleness. Paul says he urges us to walk worthy of the calling, humility and gentleness. Gentleness is also meekness. It literally means power under control. Being meek for a week will make you realize it takes strength to be meek. Jesus is the perfect example of meekness. So what is meekness? Power under control. Jesus could have called down legions of angels to come and save him. Jesus could have tore them all up. He let them crucify him because he was doing the will of the Father. So we, as we walk in community, we need to make sure that we walk in in meekness, and in gentleness. Even though we know who we are in Christ, even if we have a position in the church, even if we've been saved for X amount of years, even if no one knows our dirt like we just know their dirt, walk with gentleness and meekness. And I'd say the first step in doing that, and this is always healthy in community, is to confess your own sins. This will help you with humility as well. Confess your sins. Don't let people think you walk on water. Deep down inside, we know you don't. But if you don't ever confess sin, I'm always confessing my sin to you. What benefit is that? It's a one-way street. You know? We need to know about each other. I need to know how you're hurting. How can I pray for you? I might have some good counsel for you if you would just expose yourself. God already knows it all. And I know it's hard because some of you have been hurt. You've, you've, you've uh, made yourself vulnerable to people and people have trampled upon your heart. People have, have took advantage of you, and I, I'm sorry for that. That should never be so in the church and in the body of Christ. And quite frankly, a lot of people who say they're part of the body of Christ are not. You don't know how many people that have come into this church or people have come across in the streets. One of the biggest deterrents from people serving Christ whenever you're out sharing the gospel is, man, them a bunch of hypocrites in the church. I don't need them. You know, they, they act one way in church, and then they get out, and they're acting like this, acting like that. And they're bringing shame upon the name of Christ, people who are walking like that. And I'm not going to judge the heart because I have no clue who they're talking about. But if we're open and transparent with one another, and we love one another, and we're walking in humility, and we really love Christ, you're not going to take advantage of anybody else. You're not going to trample upon their heart whenever they share something with you and they're vulnerable to you. You're going to love them well. You're going to pray with them. And if anybody ever gives you that excuse, you let them know, look, I'm sorry that you went through that. I'm sorry that you, 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 you were vulnerable to these people and they took advantage of you because that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us to love. 
And love is patient and kind. It bears no record of wrong. Believes all things. It hopes all things. You're taking care of people. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. That's what we're to do, church. How can you serve people? How can you love them? How can you take care of them? How can you help them? How can you assist them? These are the questions that we ask ourselves as we walk in humility and, and gentleness. And lastly, long-suffering is believing God's timetable is good no matter what it is. Patience is waiting for God to act when, where, and how he chooses. This is a very difficult one, church. It's a very difficult one because if it's not us going through it, we're giving the counsel to somebody else. Some people are going through some tough, tough trials, trials that I've never had to endure. And sometimes it's necessary to give the counsel that, you know, we need to be patient. We need to long suffer this. We still serve a good, good father who's perfect in all of his ways. And to remind them of that. Not insensitively. I mean, you got somebody who has a child that's ill. That's Ill. You don't flippantly say, hey, man, God's still a good God, man. Just long suffer. No. Still use a little bit of discernment. But you can communicate the same message because it's true. And you communicate it with, with hurt, man. You're hurting with them. Man, I don't know why. I don't know why your son's going through this. You know. I I know that God is good. You know, I, I'm praying with you, man. I, I don't know why he's not healed. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't understand it neither, man. I just. I just know that the Bible says that God is good, and I love you, man. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know, because I'm praying with you and I'm hurting with you, and it grieves me to see you going through this. But I have to believe that God is sovereign, and all things work together for the good to those who love the Lord and those who are called according to His purpose. Even something that we can't comprehend or understand. Sometimes this counsel is necessary. Long-suffering is important, church. And giving that counsel to one of our brothers in Christ whenever we're in community with them is important as well. But we had to comprehend it. We've got to understand that, church. These three character traits are not natural. Most of us are prideful, not meek, and impatient by nature. So if you think of a child, you've got to teach them these things. It doesn't come naturally because we're born into sin, right? Separated from God, enemies of God. So we need to learn these things. Pray for these things. Pursue these things. God, help me be humble. God, help me be gentle. God, help me be patient. Help me. I want to be like you. I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to be an image bearer of you. Help me to have and possess these traits, God. This is your prayer to your God when you're on your knees. Amen? So these character traits are not natural. they got to be developed. Gospel-centered community allows us to grow in these areas through the process of sanctification. This will never happen in solitude. Kind of touched on that a little bit already, but it's so true. It's so true. You know, I think of this, and this makes perfect sense. I say that the hardest thing I've ever done was to, um, and I'm still working at this, is, is to, uh, to be a, a husband that honors God, to be a successful husband, so to speak. And to be a successful father, so to speak, one that's honoring God. But it makes sense because when you think of sanctification, you think of solitude, you think of being by yourself, it's so easy. You know what I mean? You're just dealing with your own mess. But then you take a sinner and a sinner and you put them together. And it's like, oh, man, now, now, now you're dealing with your flaws but also their flaws. you got to love unconditionally. Your wife ain't perfect. Your husband ain't perfect. Sometimes you want to choke them. Amen? But you've got to love them. There's no better place for a display of the gospel than in marriage. Because the husband's called to lay down his life for the church the way that Christ laid down his life for the church. 
As that's the kind of the language that's spoken to us as well anyways, right? Jesus is the groom and we are the bride as the church. So the husband dies for his spouse. Hardest thing I've ever done because I'm selfish by nature. I want things my way. I want to say this is how it's going to be and I want you to listen and I want it to be that way. But it don't work like that, amen? It don't work, it don't work like that. And it shouldn't work like that because a lot of times my wife has better wisdom than I do, better discernment than I do, better counsel than I do. We're a unified two people who have become one. But the growth that I get to experience from being a husband that honors God, the character, value, and virtue that's added to me as a child of God, I can't get it anywhere else. You can't. And then as a father, oh man, now you're, now you're adding, in my case, five little sinners that are added to the mix. And they all have their own little flaws that are unique and designed to sanctify me, so to speak. But I have to be patient with them. I have to be kind with them. I have to be humble towards them. I have to counsel them. They get, they get all my time. I lay down my life for my family. There's no greater place for you to get that virtue. You, I'm sure you can go out into the mission field and lay down your life for a tribe or something. I'm sure it would be equally of, of, of value. You're going to have to really lay down your life and make a lot of sacrifices. But the point is, is that you can't do it in solitude. <laughs> Second point, gospel-centered community must be worked towards. Going back to the text, Ephesians 4, the rest of verse 2 and verse 3, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I'm going to stop right now for a second because I apologize to you guys. Ushers, did you guys pass out the, the pamphlets? No? They're up there, on, right there. I was, I, well, I'm on point two and I'm like, you know what? They're supposed to be writing that or something. I apologize. We'll get Isaac to put point one back up in a minute. But nonetheless, gospel-centered community must be worked towards. Humility, gentleness, and patience are all a product of our hearts conquered by love, the love God fills our hearts with. We are all called to bear and endeavor. These are words of struggle, bearing and endeavoring, bearing with one another, endeavoring. The struggle for gospel-centered community is real. You know how easy it is to throw in the towel? You go into connect groups, people just getting you mad, getting you upset. You ain't got no patience for them. And you just want to just say, you know what, I'm just, I'm not going to connect anymore. Well, for what? But strive, it's worth it, church. Add that virtue to your character. Be a display of God's grace. <coughs> Bear and endeavor. Yeah, they have shortcomings. And see, this is where the humility comes in because you have shortcomings too. People got to bear with you. So bear with them. Endeavor. We must keep in mind, by, by faith, we are called to live in unity that was already purchased. That is being worked out in us. We must work on what has already been worked in. Now, think of that, church. So Jesus bought us at a price, his blood on the cross. He purchased us. It's, uh, I think it's uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, maybe it's 2 Corinthians, but where it talks about how or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, 
whom you have from God. And you are not your own because you were bought at a price. Therefore, you glorify God in your body and your spirit, which belong to God. So Jesus already set this up. He's prepared works for us to do beforehand, before the beginning of time. All right? He purchased us, and it's become evident to us because our faith has been given to us. We believe and we trust in Christ as our Savior. So now we must start walking in what he's already called us to do, what he purchased us out to be in. And you have to position yourself to do that. If you don't reach out to nobody and say, hey, man, I'm not connected. I need to get plugged into a connect group. How do I know? I'm supposed to know? That's not really fair to me. I would like to believe that I'm Superman and I can always know everything at all times, you know, and I can make sure that everybody gets plugged in. But it's not, it's, it's, it's not really, it doesn't make sense to kind of operate that way. You go seek out community. You seek who you can fellowship with, who you can connect with, who you can love, who you can learn to love, who needs to love you. That's what happens whenever you're in connect. Bearing with one another in love. Be patient with. And the same sense of enduring possible difficulty to be patient with, to have patience. This points us back to patience with others. Talked about this with my children. Love is the power that enables us to bear with sanctification of others the same way they bear with us. Back to that love thing. Love. Do you love? Do you love? There's no greater virtue than love. Jesus loved you first and he's enabled you to love others. Oh, but they hurt me. Did you hurt Jesus? Oh, but, you know, I, don't, I got trust issues. You're either going to make an excuse or you're going to find a reason. You find a reason to do it or make an excuse not to. Don't stay in those ditches. Don't stay in those ruts. Connect. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Endeavor is, here's Bishop with these Greek words again. Spudazo. To take care, make haste, to do one's best. It speaks of a determined effort. It has the idea of exertion in it. So endeavoring, that is to make haste, to do your best. You're endeavoring <laughs> to keep. Keep is guarding, watchful care. So you're diligently working to have watchful care. It also speaks of guarding something like it's your own possession. Unity. Unanimous agreement. It is the unanimous agreement among Christians that is the product of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that births that. The Holy Spirit is our bond and binds us together of peace. Peace is the binding factor which will preserve the unity what the Spirit has produced. So, basically, the unity, therefore, which is wrought amongst these Ephesians by the Spirit of God will be theirs in so as far as they make peace the relation which they maintain to one another, or the bond in which they walk together. So we need to pursue peace, church. As we dwell with one another, as we're hurt by one another, we forgive one another, we confess to one another, we love one another, and we pursue peace. That has to be the bond that keeps us. We have to be striving for that, endeavoring to that, to keep the unity of peace. That's what God would want us to do in a gospel-centered community. To live in a gospel-centered community requires effort not in our own strength. However, we must fight against the divisive plans of the enemy, against the family of God, and learn to reason with comfort and love and be open to correction and expect pain in the process. I said this before, and maybe some of you remember, maybe you don't, and that's okay. I'm not offended. But nonetheless, if you, whenever we love people, we should love them offensively and defensively. As we're bearing with them, see, we battle not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers and principalities. All right? So when you see somebody and they've done something, listen, man, they're going through something. They didn't mean to offend you. 
You think it's all about you and people are out to get you and attack you and offend you and stuff. It's not like that. Love them. Find out what they're going through. Maybe they're hurting, so they're acting out a little bit. Bear with them and offensively love them in your mind. They, people do something and they don't even know that they've offended you. And then you start thinking things about them. Negative things, derogatory things. You start talking trash about them in your head. You start accusing them of stuff in your head. And hopefully it doesn't lead to the next step, which is gossip. And you start gossiping about them and they don't even know they offended you. They don't even know they've hurt you. That's offensively loving them. I'm sorry, that's defensive lo defensively loving you. These things are flooding into your mind. This works really good with your spouse too, let me tell you. All right? Because they're going to get on your nerves like nobody else does. And you need to love them well. You need to be patient with them. You need to long suffer with them. You need to love them. All right? Because you're getting on their nerves, they're getting on your nerves. Defensively love them. You see one little flaw, and all of a sudden, whenever you see something that's out of place, you're going back to that, and you're thinking derogatory about them, not knowing what they're going, what's going on in their life, not knowing what they went through during their day, not knowing what hurts and pains that they're going through. That's not right. You wouldn't want nobody to do that to you. You shouldn't do it to nobody else. And offensively loving, is, offensively loving them is actively doing things that show love, that display love. Meal trains. Anybody here is a benefit of a meal train? Meal trains are wonderful, right? And you get to see the love, the church reaching out, bringing you food, and it's amazing, right? Like PA would say, if it's free, it's for me. But it goes deeper than that. It's not just the food, it's the gesture. And man, you took time to prepare this meal because you knew I was hurting. You knew that I'm off my game a little bit. You knew I'm a little down and out. And you brought me this meal. That means a lot. Small gesture, but it's offensively loving. And it communicates volumes to the people that you do it for. But do it with the right heart now because it might be communicating volumes, but really if it's not for the right reasons between you and God, there's no virtue being added to you. Amen? Amen. Gospel-centered community, this is the third point. And after you give them a little bit of time to write this one, Isaac, if you haven't done so already, you can go back to the first point so they can have time to write that if they're taking notes. Uh, third point would be gospel-centered community is the work of the Trinity. And read verses four through six. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So as we learned, the Trinity is foundational to community. However, the Trinity is also at work unifying believers as the family of God. God is not like the puzzle box cover that simply shows the finished product. God is actively working inside of us, fitting us together, building his dwelling place. He is perfecting us. Guys, say amen to that. He's perfecting us, church. See, deism, I think it's deism, teaches that God just created everything and he just falls back. He just lets it roll. The deism, it just lets it, he just, he, he don't have anything to do with anything. That's not true. The spirit of God is actively working inside of you. The Bible says that as you, um, do not be conformed to, 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 the, to the patterns of this world, but to be renewed in your minds by the washing of the word. See, his word is alive and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrows. It discerns the thoughts and intents of your heart, of my heart, so that we can comprehend how we're feeling. Man, we need to know if our intentions are well. Read the scriptures. Read the scriptures. Know what the, know what the word of God communicates. Know his character. Love what he loves. 
hate what he, he, what he hates. Remember we talked about gospel-centered community and your behavior should change once you've been changed by the gospel? If you've been changed by the gospel, you should no longer love sin. You should no longer like sin. You shouldn't want to participate in sin. You should hate sin because it put your Savior on the cross. Amen? So the Holy Spirit is working inside of us, building us up. I'm glad it's not just a puzzle box cover and we're supposed to figure it all out. I'm grateful for that. Because I would have a jacked up looking puzzle. The unifying factor listed by the Apostle Paul shows us what makes us one and how the Trinity is actively involved in that unity. So we see one body, one faith, one baptism, and one God. The Spirit unified us in one body by calling us to the hope and salvation. That's the work of the Spirit. Been called out of darkness. It's like one day you were going about your business, all of a sudden, it's like you got hit by a train. The reality that Jesus is real, that God is real, that heaven and hell are real. If there is a God, it's all true. God gave you a faith to believe and to recognize that it's all real. I remember me, my testimony, I was, I was, um, I was wanting change, but I was trying to behavior modify. That's when I was 17 years old. And as I was um, pursuing change, God orchestrated all of this. It's so amazing how he orchestrates. I'll share it with you guys too. Um, I was working with a guy, Jameek. You guys know who Jameek is? He goes, he goes to the church. He's Mia's husband. So I was working with him, and uh, this guy really loved Jesus. And he was singing the cartoon song. You guys ever heard the cartoon song? Maybe some of y'all newer Christians might not have heard the cartoon song. You ever have a little? Yeah, that's right. So it's by Chris Rice. If you, if you haven't heard it, you should go Google Chris Rice cartoon song, and you'll, you'll, you'll really enjoy that. It's, 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 it's good, especially if you have kids. You really got to do that. Isaiah, we're going to have to do the cartoon song, man. I'm sorry. I haven't, I've deprived you of the cartoon song. Um, but he was singing this at the top of his lungs as we were driving in the work truck. And I'm looking at this black guy who's like six foot five, had a gold tooth at the time. He doesn't have one now. And I'm like, man, like, I'm like embarrassed for him. Like, what is he doing? And, and he had no shame. He really, really loved Jesus, you know? And I wanted that. I wanted, I was, he had something that was attractive to me. So as we continue to work together, I asked him a lot of questions, just throwing it on him. I was addicted to drugs and, and caught up in my own lifestyle. And um, he answered a lot of my questions. Eventually, I went to his church and I sought God. And God revealed himself to me one Sunday morning. And he called me out of darkness that moment. And it was an African-American church. And I was in the back. And I, <laughs> I came up, hands in the air, the whole, walked on the whole aisle with my hands up, just telling God, I want to change. I want to change. I want to belong to you. I want to have what Jameek has. I don't want to live this lifestyle no more. And then over the course of six months, I stopped serving God. I served him faithfully for about 30 days. I was changed. But then I went back into my old ways, started doing drugs again, started partying and carried on. And then I had three encounters with God. And um, they were very, very supernatural. Um, I was intoxicated on LSD each time. And um, the first two times, my friends convinced me that I had a bad trip. If you guys know what LSD is, that'll make sense to you. Uh, so I believed it. The third time, while it was taking place, I told God, I I'm sorry it took me three times to change. And I'll serve you for the rest of my life with every fiber of my being. And I was 17 years old. And that's whenever that took place. That was, 
15 years ago. And um, the point of the story is, is that I wasn't pursuing God initially. Let me, show, let me, let me give the backdrop of how he worked it all out. I was uh, a junior in high school, and I was, um, you know, my family, you know, they, 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 they preached school and so forth, but nobody had graduated high school or, or, or college for that matter. So I always had a drill in my head to have good grades. I, like, I graduated like a 3.6 grade average while I was on drugs the whole time. It's kind of weird. But nonetheless, um, when I was a junior in high school, I got pulled out into the guidance counselor's office. And they said, you're a perfect candidate for the program we have. It's a construction program. I said, okay. It was me and like 11 other people. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm a good candidate. And I started working, getting some money in my pocket. So I really enjoyed that. Saved up, bought my own car and so forth. But the way it was all orchestrated was I didn't ask to be called out in that office. But God knew why I was being called out into that office. I bounced around with different foremans, working with different people. I didn't ask to work with Jameek Baker. I didn't want to work with him. I didn't know him. I didn't care. I just wanted to collect a paycheck. But God knew he was going to give me an earful through this man of God about who Jesus is and who I am apart from Christ and who I would be in Christ. God orchestrated all of this over the course of a few years. He sought after me. He loved me. He pursued me. The Holy Spirit does that, church. And he changes us and redeems us and makes us a people for his own possession. That we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So the Holy Spirit is the one that unifies us, calls us out of darkness, into salvation, makes us one body. Because that was the thing. That's the invitation. That's the bigger picture. I was invited to the wedding feast. I was invited to be part of the bride. I'm invited into his family. The Lord, the Son, Jesus, one faith, one baptism, unifies us in one faith and one baptism. Faith is the substance of what's hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So whenever we think of eternity and we think of salvation, we think of inheritance, we think of being with God, not going to hell, going to heaven, all of that, our faith is what points us to Christ. It's, I call it our sixth sense. It's like, you know, you can't see Jesus, you can't hear Jesus apart from some incidents. Most people don't. Um, you can't taste them, you can't smell them. What's the other one? Sight, touch, taste, hear, hear, feel. I think I got all five of them in there. But it's faith that causes you to know that he's real and that he exists. He gives you this faith to believe in him. Amen? Amen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So spend some time in the word and seek him like hidden treasure. And he says that you'll find him. And the Father unifies us in himself. It's one God who is over all in authority through all and in all. So we thank God for that. Now, if the Godhead is at work in making us one, we are not, when we are not committed to the gospel-centered community, we are in opposition to God's work in his body. So think of that if you don't want to connect with people. You don't want to be in community. Not just will you not have added virtue because you're in isolation, but you're actually working against what God called you out of darkness to be in and to fellowship in. It's not healthy for you, church. Don't think you know more than God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, you acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. When you think you start knowing more than God, you're crazy. <laughs> for real. Like, that's just crazy. It's, you're going to end up messed up. I don't want that for you. Trust God. If God called you out to be in community. Stop being by yourself. What excuses have you made 
Validity is not the issue. What excuses have you made to grow together in love? So some of you have, I mean, the excuses are many. My schedule. I already got too much going on. I don't really like people. Dang, for real. People don't really like me. Have you asked everybody? I'm sure somebody likes you. I might like you. Might. I have to, though, right? If I don't, then I'm, in a, I'm disobedient. There's no excuse that's valid. Jesus died for every possible excuse. Every sin committed against has been paid for, so we can and must offer forgiveness to others. So if your excuse has to do with somebody's offended you, you're in sin for holding bitterness. You're in sin for being grudging. You need to repent. Jesus forgave you. You forgive others. That's the way it works. You offend God every day. You want him to forgive you, right? Yes, because you don't want to go to hell. So you want to be forgiven. You want to be in unity with God. You want to fellowship with God. So if you want Christ to forgive you, you forgive others. It's not an excuse to not be in community. Every sin we've ever committed was paid for, so we must confess our sins against others and be reconciled to each other. Pursue out those relationships. Maybe there's some people that you could really be close to, but you've offended them. Maybe you need to go and repent of your sins to them. Let them know you love them. Let them know you're sorry. Let them know you want to be reconciled. You don't want to be separated. You want to be in unity with them. You want to learn more about them and their family and get to know them more. And if you're sorry that you offended them. You recognize your fault. Then your slate's clean. If they don't forgive you, that's on them. Then they're in sin. I'm forgiving you. And you need to pray for them. Amen? The gospel keeps us focused upon the Savior, his great mercy towards us, enabling us to extend mercy towards others and grow in our desire to be one with my blood-bought family. So the gospel keeps us focused on the Savior, his mercy towards us, enabling us to extend mercy towards others. See, that's the other thing. When you recognize the mercy that God has had on you, you won't hold nobody to any type of standard. And that's the benefit that Bishop talked about last week. Whenever you're in a room with people, you see yourself as the chief of all sinners. Because you recognize how much mercy you need, how much grace you need, how much forgiveness you need. And when you recognize that, you're not holding anybody in your little prison because they've offended you once or twice or because they didn't say hi to you the way they should have said hi to you. They looked at you wrong. And even those who were deliberately wrong to you, people who have really been grimy, don't hold them in your prison. Christ ain't holding you in no prison. And you've been more grimy, I can guarantee, to Christ. Amen? God does not excuse us from community, but makes provision for us to engage in loving forgiveness, generous, edifying, and life-giving community with our new family. I'm going to read that one more time. God does not excuse us from community. So no matter what the excuse is, none of them are valid. He's not going to excuse you from community, but he makes provision for us, for you, for me, to engage in loving, forgiving, generous, edifying, life-giving community with your new family. I think that's the biggest thing, church. I'm going to close with this, and I'm going to share the gospel, and then I'm going to, I'm going to be done. Think of your identity. When you recognize that you are a blood-bought individual, called out of darkness and into fellowship with God, redeemed from destruction, and you recognize that you are not the church, but we are the church, 
you have to pursue community. If you don't, I would beg to say that you don't understand what the body of Christ is. That you don't comprehend the need for one another. Whenever the scripture talks about us being built up as a dwelling place for God, it's not talking about you and your little family. It's talking about us and our big family. It's all of us. We need each other, church. And yes, Bishop talked about it last week. There's going to be certain people you're closer with. That's fine. There's going to be certain people you hang out with more. That's fine. But reach out. Look, I'm guilty. Me and my wife talk about this. Who do we want to invite over? You know, we need to make, we need to make sure we invite this family and this family and that family and this family. I'm guilty. I want y'all to come over and eat. But making the time and making sure that I do it, I do it, I do it, execute. There's no excuse. Anytime I hang out with any of you guys, usually I'm really blessed. It's really, to learn about you guys is, I cherish that, man. I love that. I love learning about you guys. I love learning more about you and your family, what you're interested in, what your job is. Because I love you guys, even at a distance. And I apologize to you if I've offended you. I apologize for not inviting you over more. I apologize for not reaching out to you enough. Pray for me. Help me. I can work on this. You guys can work on it together with me. Amen? So I want to wrap up with this. I don't know if there's anyone in here who doesn't know Christ. So I'm obligated to share this. The Bible says that for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's everyone. Nobody's exempt. So whenever you are born into this world, you are born an enemy of God, separated from God. Now God knows what 20 years holds. He knows what 30 years holds. He knows, whatever, he, he knows time. He's not bound by time. He, does, he, he exists outside of time. But whenever you're born, you're born into sin, separated from God. And the wages of sin is death. There's nothing that you can do that can save yourself. You can't do enough good works. You can't come to church enough. You can't pray enough. You can't read enough. None of that will save you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except but through him. Nobody. Buddha, Muhammad, Charles Taze Russell, Joseph Smith, any of the ideologies or doctrines that they teach, Muhammad, and none of it works. One day you will stand before God and you will bow your knee and you will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Whether you believe in him or not, that's what's going to happen. Whether you serve him or not, whether you're in fellowship with him or not, whether you belong to him or not, that's what's going to happen. You're going to stand before him and you're going to bow your knee and confess that he's Lord. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you, or he's going to let you enter into his kingdom because he knows you. The Bible says that God sent him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's talking about Jesus Christ. That's the unfair exchange. See, while there's nothing that you can do to save yourself, what Christ already did saves you. He said on the cross to tell us that it is finished. It's finished. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
If you want to be in a relationship with God, nothing's stopping you but you. You seek him like hidden treasure, and his word says you will find him. You run to him. You desire him. You pursue him. He becomes more valuable to you than anything else or anyone else. Tomorrow's not promised to you. You don't know how you're going to die, when you're going to die. If you're not certain about your relationship with Christ, I beg you, I beg you to make it certain. Seek him. Search for him. He will reveal himself to you, I promise you. Not because it's my promise, but because the word declares so. He created you. He brought you here this morning. Maybe to hear this message. Maybe to remind you of this message and the importance of how you as a blood-bought child of God may need to bring this message to somebody else. Today's the day of salvation, church. People say they'll wait till tomorrow. People say not today. People say I'm having too much fun. It's not fun to sin against God. It's not fun to offend the very one that created you and holds the very breath that you breathe in the palm of his hand. There's nothing fun about that. It's sick. It's twisted. See, the Bible says that we are to live holy and blameless in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Our culture has it backwards. And it says in the last times that people would call good evil and evil good. That's what's taking place, church, in our culture today. Maybe that's what's taking place in your heart where you've justified all of your sins and your wrongdoing. And you think, oh, God's just going to forgive me. He's going to let me in. I'm not Hitler. I don't kill people and hurt people. You're not as good as you think you are. The Bible says that your righteousness is as filthy rags. And as I mentioned earlier, there's no good deeds that you can do that can make you right. Nothing. It's putting your faith and hope in what Jesus already did. It's penal substitutionary atonement. He paid the penalty. He was your substitute, and his blood atoned for your sins. It's the way that God set it up. We don't make the rules. Did you decide when you would be born or where you would be born? It's not up to you. Whenever you think of the galaxies and the planets and the stars and space, our Milky Way galaxy is a speck inside of a larger universe that was created by God. And we are a speck on that speck. We are small. God is big. And he's mindful of you today. He wants to give you life and life abundantly. Seek him as hidden treasure. Let him know that you want to serve him. Let him know that you don't want to live for yourself. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily. That's what I invite you to do today. 
What are you living for? Are you living for your Savior? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you want to serve Christ? Do you want to serve yourself? Do you want to live for you or do you want to live for him? And if you're living for him, live for him. Not by words, but by deeds. With every fiber of your being, really live for him, church. Let's turn the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation to all who would ever believe. We serve a big God. And if we belong to him, he abides in us. That means there's power in us to be the light in a dark world. Don't get caught up in your sins. Don't be consumed on your shortcomings, your failures. It's not helping anything. Run to the Savior. Run to Him. Love Him. Cherish Him. Obey Him. Obey Him, church. anyone in here that really doesn't know Christ and you really want to know Christ I'm going to invite you to come forward so that I can pray with you the way that I came forward in that African American church 15 years ago my hands raised high asking God to help me He'll meet you where you're at. anyone in here hurting anyone who knows Christ as their savior she just wants a prayer I invite you forward as well and I'll pray with you I know I know that God is good I know that he's gracious 
loves his children. He'll lose no one. I just want to encourage you all to continue to serve, continue to keep your eyes on the prize the way that the Apostle Paul did, knowing that there's an inheritance that awaits us that is incorruptible, undefiled, unfading, that rust cannot destroy, thieves cannot steal. Amen. I love all of you, and I thank you all for being here this morning. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your grace towards us. Thank you for your joy that makes us complete. Thank you, Lord, for calling us out of darkness and into fellowship with you, but also into fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I ask you that you would teach us to love the way that you do, God, that you would teach us to see people as you do, my God, that we would be sensitive and compassionate, that we would have a servant heart, that we would put the needs of others before our very own, that we would not hold anyone to a standard that we don't hold ourselves to, my God. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for including us. We love you. We pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.